we're letting people down and they're subtle, they're subtle things because we're so busy working that we are actually letting both people in our lives. And sometimes, frankly, it might be clients, it might be partners because we're scrambling to do so much that balls are dropping, balls that are important to us. And sometimes we can see it and sometimes we can't. I'm your host, Emily Ken, and before we start with today's show, please remember to visit Mindset.Zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. There you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources, all at Mindset.Zone. So today, our special guest is Jenny Lin, and Jenny carried her workaholic with her for 20 years, from the conference room of large corporations to the consulting firm she launched in 2019. And now she has a keynote that is titled, The Death of the Workaholic. And we are going to learn why during this conversation. So welcome to the Mindset Zone, Jenny. Thank you so much. And I'm so glad to be here. And I still remember the first time that you told me the title of your keynote. And I was immediately curious about. Then in our conversations afterwards, I learned that you are writing a book with the same title. So I'm curious about why did he decide to focus on this topic? Well, I'm a believer that most of us focus on something we need to work on in our own lives. It it often starts with our own journeys. And this is definitely mine. As you said, 20 years of being a workaholic before I figured it out. But it's a deeply personal story for me. Um, In January 2021, my kid's dad was diagnosed with cancer. uh, And it was terminal cancer that ultimately took his life. And for the first time in my life, I could not be a workaholic. I did all of the right things to change the behaviors, to reduce my hours, to check the box of working less. But I fought myself every step of the way because I forgot to ask myself, why am I this way in the first place? What purpose did it serve in my life? And how do I want that to look differently? First of all, so sorry for your loss. And thank you so much for sharing it here. Because I think when tragedies like that happens in our lives, uh, the only thing that we can do is learn from them as much as we can. No, seems that you really embrace what life gave you to do the best for you and your kids that was possible. Yes. And I I really admire you that now you are, based on that art experience, helping other people that hopefully they don't have to go through so hard aches to learn something important about themselves. Yes. Because while... I was forced to do it. There were a ton of benefits of changing that I never, ever would have been introduced to had I not been forced to make this change. So things like scaling and selling my business never would have happened had I been continuing 
to need to do all of the work myself. So let's go a little bit unpacking that dimension of self-discovery. Tell me a little bit your definition of what is, because we use this word quite a lot, I I used to say, or and I say even quite often that I'm a whore-colic in recovery. <laughs> but that is like one of those terms that I think everybody has a different definition for it. So please go ahead. And what is your definition of workaholism? And I agree, by the way, I talked to it's one of the questions I ask as I'm doing research. And what is your definition of workaholism? And what is your definition of work? And everybody does have a slightly different definition, but there are some common threads. Number one, it is a compulsion and a need to work that you do not have full control over. So that voice that's in your head saying, if I could just do one more thing, keeps going after the things that you have to get done are done. So repeat the definition. So it is the compulsion or the need to keep working. And that voice continues in your head saying, I need to, what if I could do one more thing? If I could just get this done, if I could just check this thing off my list. And that voice keeps going after the need to work, the true need to work is done. Yeah. And the first time that you say you don't have control over, is that part of the compulsion that goes, or they say it's almost, you never, you never can be idle. You never can rest. You don't have that right. You have to keep going and going and going and going. I used to use the image of the Energizer. uh, What is that little bunny? The Energizer bunny. It was one of my nicknames. Yes. (laughs) That goes, keep going and keep going and keep going. And I was proud of it that I will keep going and going and going. Everybody else will be like some of the advertisements will be left rest. And I was keep going, keep going. So, uh, but there is a price that we pay for that. Keep going, keep going. And the interesting thing, we can learn how to work smarter instead of harder and get better results. That is the thing. But before going there, so I think many people in different degrees identify with this by their nature and nurture. They internalize them, that they need to be very busy doing things, things, things. They are never done and they never deserve the rest. Is uh, Another quote that I love is that our to-do list always is going to outlive us mm-hmm. and but it's like almost okay i have i have to check another one check another one check another one so with that definition of workaholism that compulsion to always do the next thing and never enjoying really all the achievements in my opinion is also part of this dynamic there are other symptoms because that is a very clear description but other ways that you can see in others that they are suffering from this workaholism. Yeah. What is interesting about this topic is that there are so many different symptoms that show up in different people depending on their environment and frankly, where they're at in the journey of recognizing that they have it. So I am having fun right now because I'm interviewing people who 
don't really think they're workaholics and then maybe walk out of the conversation and say, well, maybe I am all the way through people that are like I was and I am on the other side. And what's interesting is the marker points and the symptoms that they experience at different phases in that journey. Uh, so before you go to that, mm-hmm. so you think that for some people, the word callism is like a blind spot? Yes. Okay. So tell me more about that and about the symptoms. I had a really, I'm going to tell you a story. I had a really interesting conversation the other day with someone. They were talking about as they've been listening to the content I've been producing and as they've been kind of taking some of the surveys and then they participated in research, they've been having their discoveries along the way. And so their answers to my questions were evolving because they were having discoveries during the journey. And they recently had a discovery and they, they talked to their spouse and said, oh, I had a breakthrough. And their spouse said, I could have told you that. And they're like, why didn't you? And they said, because would you have listened? Yeah. So the challenge point is, is picking up on the cues of those in our lives. Are they, are they disengaged? Are they pulling away? Are people trying to keep moving forward because they're not 100% sure you're going to be there and fully present? There's a lot of cues that people in our lives and our connections might give us that we don't see when we're early in those stages, because it takes a lot for someone to stop us in our tracks and say, I need X and you're not giving it to me, mm. right? That's that's not the first default. We all uh, you know, react to things a different way. So sometimes there are things happening in our business relationships, we're letting people down and they're subtle, they're subtle things because we're so busy working that we are actually letting both people in our lives. And sometimes, frankly, it might be clients, it might be partners, because we're scrambling to do so much that balls are dropping, balls that are important to us. And sometimes we can see it and sometimes we can't. And I think one of the mindset limitations, and uh, and please, if you have a different opinion, don't hesitate in time in. But one of the things is that sometimes we notice that we are dropping the balls but we have like in a mindset that is like, I don't know what to do. I'm, I cannot work more hours. I'm already working so much. I'm ready. Let me try to do that. But is that pushing, pushing, pushing? And when people are in the midst of it, it's not easy to see a way out. Yes. And there's a there's an order I tend to see for folks that balls start dropping and there's a bit of a frenetic because our default instinct is to solve it by doing something. So we start grabbing at things. And then you're absolutely correct. The next step often becomes, okay, well, there's no more hours in the day. This is impossible. And then we start to figure out if you're a business owner, it's how can I fund this? If you're an employee or a leader, it's how can I advocate for funding to get more work from my team? So our our instinct is to grow versus asking ourselves, should we be doing all this? And then I see a transition to no one that I hire or partner with operates at my level. So that's a very common thing I will hear. I can't hire good people. Yeah. So let me unpack a little bit because I love how you have this so well thought. So it seems that maybe there is a first phase that you are rewarded for being so hard worker. So you are rewarded by that qualities and by keep going and going and going. Mm -hmm. And then it starts to arrive to a, a point that we just cannot work more and we start to not get the results of all that effort. And then all the dynamics that can happen there of frustration, of dropping the balls. 
And I also love that this can almost become the culture if we are leading a team. Mm -hmm. It becomes like a culture and it can be a toxic one. Hmm. So when we start to have these red flags and this in ourselves or in the teams that we belong or that we lead, can we do something about it? Yes. <laughs> We're, we're professional learners, aren't we, Anna? Yes. So there's always something we can do. So the first thing that I tell people to do is stop and pause and actually look at what voices do they have that are reinforcing that working more is a good thing. Because we all have them and those voices are often positive ones. A common one that I hear is, you know, my parents were the hardest working people I know. I learned work ethic from them. And work ethic is not a bad thing. You know, let's separate out what hard work and a work ethic versus workaholism is. It's okay. In fact, it's necessary to work hard when you are standing up a new team or a new project or um, a new organization or a new company. There's a certain level of hard work that is required to get that off the ground. But at some point, that same thing that was required stops working. So you said that really well earlier. There is a history of when I work hard, it gives me X. So what is it giving you? Where did that voice come from and what is it giving you? Is it a sense of achievement? Is it a sense of meaning? Is there an anxiety behind it? A lot of times I'm talking to people and there's actually a, an anxiety, an anxiety to be good enough, an anxiety to perform, um, an anxiety to make more money. For some people, they grew up in poverty and they're just they just are scrambling to make as much as they can and they understand it sometimes takes hard work, but the problem is at some point that hard work stops working for you. So stop and honor those voices because they are good ones. They are, are they are models. They are heroes in our lives. They are successes that we have had. They are not bad things. I love that. That is totally within my philosophy that, yes, when we become aware of something, when we make that pause, and then we bring that self-awareness up. Let's be gentle with ourselves and not falling in the blame game because that is just going to take the energy that we need to change things. So I love your, okay, let's look at the mirror, realize what is going on and what can we do? So we have that awareness. We realize that there is some inner work to be done. There is some root causes why we are behaving that and what can we do about it? Yes. And then that's the next step. What I have found from the people I've talked to is you either need an inciting event or you need something that is desirable that is pulling you towards a, a very strong future. And here's what I mean by that. You need a push or you need a pull. A push is I'm at the edge of the cliff and I just got shoved over the edge. I've got a parachute and I have got to figure this out. I do not have a choice. What happened to me was a push, right? It was a, I didn't have a choice. I had to figure it out. If you don't have the push, and I highly recommend that everybody, you know, grapple with this before it becomes burnout or all of these other things that, that are really hard to recover from, you can manufacture that same energy through having a compelling desire, a future that you've created for yourself that integrates both your work and life. So what is it that you want your life to look like, including work? Don't separate those two things because they are not separate. They are one. As a workaholic, they are one thing. So let's let's call it what it is and let's make it one thing. 
And then where are you at now? And where's the gap between those two things? I love that. I had the push with cancer that is like a wake up call uh, that made me because I was working hard, hard, hard. And it was that kind of situations that really you don't have any other choice to slow down like you were so well describing. And uh, I'm also in the mission of that. But you say you don't need to have these push situations that big crises. You can learn from others. <laughs> that did it. And I love the pull energy. How can we, you are speaking about really, I think is have clarity of our life purpose that has the work, that has the life, that has all the mixtures of what is important to us. And are we living for our life purpose or are we just busy? Yes. Yes. Because that is the difference between working hard and being a workaholic is you are choosing what you will work on. You are consciously choosing what gets your energy. And when it's done, you are able to put those things up and say, I'm done with that. And now I get to rest. So one of the things that I really like that you are really articulating is that nuance about hard work. Hard work is not bad in itself. And we can be proud of being able to put hard work that we can be smart on how we are using the hard work to achieve our goals, to be living our purpose and not to be burning ourselves to the ground. Yes. And I'll give an example, if that's okay. I had a conversation yes. today because I'm doing a handful every week and the person and I were comparing notes when we started our second company. So, you know, you take the learnings from your first company, you start the second one and one of the things he did was because he had worked so hard and was a workaholic in the first one, he decided in the second one, he was going to try to hire the right talent, stay out of the middle of everything. And so he was actually less involved than he needed to be for the first 12 to 18 months of his, of his company. And it struggled to get off the ground the same way. My second company I consciously took the things from my first company that I delegated too fast, and I actually kept them. I do have superpowers, um, like creating systems and frameworks that are so amazing that I, I shouldn't hand that off right away. It's my superpower. So I hung on to those, and I actually was very intentional about the systems that I set up. But there are other things I did in my last company I should have handed off a long time ago. I didn't make that mistake this time around. I hired a marketing person right away to make sure that, you know, all my podcasts and all my content that I create is getting out there in the world and not just sitting on my phone or my, you know, hard drive somewhere being wasted. So I made changes, conscious changes in where I focused my attention and energy, the services I offered, you know, how I'm spending my time and release things from that last time around. So I was able to generate more income create more time, have more purpose and meaning. And I'm only working 30 hours a week. Well, last week was 22, but the average is about 30. That's how we work smarter. I love that. And that is the thing I'll just say to know that is possible because I think when we are in the midst of the workaholism, we cannot believe that is possible to do it in a different way. And we have that like a mirage of there is somebody out there that maybe is doing that, but it's that we put doubts. And sometimes there are people that say that they are doing that and they are really not doing that. 
and all those things that is important to have examples of, uh, for me, uh, very important. And how we do it, I think, can be different from person to person. For me, the thing was not working after dinner. Mm. That was my my thing. I don't mind to work very hard from when I start my day until dinner time. But after dinner, I want family time. That is my life by design. Once in a while, do I work after dinner? Yes, once in a while, yes, I do it. But not like the norm. It's rare. In fact, I cannot tell you when was the last time that that happened. But is for me, creating that space, I work hard to make my business grow, to achieve my goals. But after dinner is family time for me. And I love that. Yes. And and part of what we have to learn is we create those boundaries. Mine are, for instance, before 9 a.m., I don't take a meeting. I have certain, you know, that's my me time, my spacious time where I meditate or I just stare out a window with a cup of coffee or call a loved one. There's no rules. It's just quiet me time. And I think what when I'm talking to people, like I talked to someone last week, and what they struggle with is how do they end the voices And this is why I call sometimes finding your kill switch. It's not that you're killing, you know, this hard work ethic. What you're doing is learning how to turn off those voices and say, is this really a hard deadline or am I manufacturing a sense of urgency right now? And sometimes we don't realize, and that is for me was a big transformation. We don't realize the energy that that voices and that some of these dynamics are draining out of us. And when we learn to be more in the flow of high performance, we absolutely can achieve more in less time. Yeah. But we have to learn that it's a skill that is a learnable skill and that can be developed. It can, it can. And it's a lot of the boundaries you're talking about. It's really important to understand that our brains only have the capacity to work on so many things at the same time. And every time we switch between them, we're losing energy and traction. So focusing on those priorities is the single most important thing that anyone can do to get more bang for their buck with their time. And every time that list gets long, and you see 15 things on that list, your first question is, how do you take 12 of those things or more, (laughs) put them in a bucket of, I will look at this later, but you are a distraction right now and come back to the one to three things that are going to drive you forward the most right now. Is the prioritization and something that you allude already here in our conversation, focus on your strengths. Know what are your strengths and really go full out on those and delegate as much as possible the things that are not your strengths. Mm -hmm. I'm always telling people to be fully aware. When is there a skill or a muscle that you need to develop? And so therefore, you're consciously choosing to work on something you will not be as good at because you're building that muscle. Or when is it something that It's not critical for you to master. It's not something that you want to master. And it's not something you should try to master. And there's other talent on the market that would love to do that for you. You can give someone else a job. 
<laughs> yes, and, and realize that. I still remember during some time I had a local assistant here and I like to develop the processes. I like to develop the systems, but then the keeping up of it is boring for me. But she loved that. She loved to have a set of steps that she was doing them and she say accomplish and that gave her energy. When I realized that I was, what? What drains my energy? Energize another person. And that is the thing to create a team that everybody can focus on the things that energize them most. Yes. And one thing I find is a challenge for doing that um, for workaholics is oftentimes workaholism and perfectionism go hand in hand. They're both achievement based. I'm looking to achieve something. I want to outcompete and show up in a, in a, you know, either I'm competing against myself or others. I want to outperform the norm. Um, so there's this, uh, this aspect of perfectionism that can weave itself through us and disguise itself as workaholism. Yeah. And it's totally true because sometimes we try to do everything so perfect that we are not doing the things that are important and we really can excel. We are not really using our potential there. Yes. And it shows up when we try to delegate to people. We often struggle to figure out how to make something concrete where we both accept what are the expectations? What are the standards? What are you going to do? And what am I going to do? When things fall through the cracks, how do we have that dialogue and not have it be a negative thing? Like it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's just us figuring out what this whole thing will look like. So oftentimes people struggle with delegation because there is not only a workaholism, it's just easier for me to do it myself. There's also a perfectionism. I'll do it better than anyone else can do it. And those two things make it so difficult to release. Absolutely. And for me, it was very important also realize that, for instance, in the field of high performance of the athletes and the sports, they have to do breaks. They have to have coaches. They don't do it mm -hmm. alone. And I think for people out there that if you feel that you are in this kind of dynamic and you don't know your way out, there are ways, or you say, you don't have to do it alone. Yes. Yeah. And I just had a podcast interview of somebody uh, a week or two ago, and that was exactly the takeaway they gave to everybody else. What they learned, because they topped out in terms of growth, and so they learned they had to bring someone from the outside to point out the blind spots and drive it forward because they couldn't see it clearly at that particular time. I think it will be hard to find a professional athlete or even an Olympic gold medal that doesn't have a coach. Possibly there is one out there. Yes. But if we go to find patterns, having a coach, having a mentor, having somebody that can accelerate your learning is one of the best things that you can do. Yes. And a couple of people who are workaholics told me there's a couple of challenges with that for workaholics. Number one, we like to do things ourselves. Yes. And so asking for help is not, and I speak personally, is not our forte. That was actually the first thing I had to learn how to do was ask for help and admit that I needed help. And that's not easy because we've always been able to solve things by just taking care of it ourselves. The second is sometimes we have a tendency to bring on coaches that we can dominate because we like to go, 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 go. We're proud of our type A personality. And so we bring in people that we can 
we can boss around a little too much <laughs> instead of people who are going to put us in our place a little bit, who are a level or two um, beyond where we're at in the topic we want to be coached on and are not afraid to challenge our thinking and, and way of showing up. Yeah. And I think one of the things that people listening to this podcast can do is in their podcast app, of course, make sure that you are following the mindset zone. And after this interview end, make sure that we'll go and look for Jenny podcast. Tell us that that is the name. Yeah, the name is Death of a Workaholic. So I'm just keeping with the theme to make it easy for y'all. <laughs> yes. And start to listen to that podcast too and start to see that there are different ways of doing this. And with that said, where can people know more about your speaking, about how to work with you? So tell us a little bit besides following your podcast. Yes. So the easiest way is to go to deathofaworkaholic.com. It will redirect <laughs> to my website and there'll be a contact form there. And I say that just because then you don't have to remember anything else. But if you want to email me, you can always email me. It's Jenny at JennyLynnErickson.com. But because that's a really big mouthful just go to the website and use the contact form. Perfect. You can work smarter, not harder all the time. So thank you so much for being here today with us and keep spreading your message out there. Thank you for having me, Anna. Expanding possibilities, the mindset Thank you for listening and remember to visit Mindset dot zone yes instead of dot com it's dot zone there you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources all at mindset dot zone as always i'm so grateful you are here expand what's possible for you for the ones around you part of the world.